covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. What a week it was for the Brewers, and it was capped off in big, big fashion. Ready again, Reed. Here it is. Pena sends it to left, way back. Get up! Get up! Get out of here! Gone for Benny Pena! He just hit a three-run shot out of here! And it's now 11-9 Brewers! That obviously Bob Euchre on the Brewers Radio Network, specifically 620 WTMJ as the Brewers cap off a 5-1 and one homestand and a win and a sweep against the Mets on Sunday, 11-9, the final score. We record this on Sunday nights. I always tell you that because sometimes some of the information is a little bit time-sensitive. We try to avoid time-sensitive material as much as possible to make this a good listen uh, throughout the course of the week. We hope it's a good listen, no matter if there's a time-sensitive material or not. But if there is any reference today, tomorrow, yesterday, that's sort of thing uh we are recording this on sunday night and it was one heck of a sunday afternoon for the brewers as they defeat the mets 11-9 they're down 7-1 in this game and in their final three innings of being able to come to the plate they don't have a ninth inning because they were winning after eight so in the sixth seventh and eighth inning they scored 10 runs after they had scored a total of one run in innings one through five. And to me, it is the biggest win of the year. It's the most exciting win of the year. And based off the phone calls I got on Brewers Extra Innings, our postgame show that we do immediately following the games on 620 WTMJ, there was that's as much excitement as I have heard in the voices of Brewers fans and the most interest I've seen in this team in quite some time. And I don't mean to go down any sort of a negative path. But I, I just I, I want to say this, and I said it on the radio, I'll say it on here as well. I think right now it's going to be a lot of fun to just see how this whole thing plays out. I'll be honest, I, and I'm, this surprised me a bit. And I'm a proponent of the Brewers' rebuild. I think they're doing it the right way. I think the fact that the minor league system is just stocked with all kinds of top-level talent right now, and we're going to start to see more of these folks filter in as the year goes along. Like All that being said, I everything seems to be moving in the correct direction. There's been issues with starting pitching, and I was getting phone calls on the program saying the Brewers need to make a move. They need to make a trade for a front-line starter, and all of a sudden they're a contender and they can do something special this year. I don't really know what special – I don't know if that means grab the second wild card, win the division, have extended success in the postseason. I don't know what that is. But I kind of stopped the conversation right there because this team got into this position where they had to do a complete rebuild – because they had made too many trades where they mortgaged the future and the farm system just got completely cleared out. And I understand why they did it at the time. You want to win. You want to have success in the postseason. You look at it as this is maybe the year to do something, and that all makes sense. But something that David Stearns has said over and over is he's not going to mortgage the future just to have a little bit of extra playoff success during the course of one season. 
I don't know what's going to happen. You know, this. I thought this team would flirt with 500 this year, maybe finish right under, right at, or right above 500. I didn't think they were going to really be challenging for a playoff position. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this will keep up, and maybe they'll be right there come the trade deadline of July 31st. But I'll tell you this. Go look at the cost of acquiring starting pitching at the trade deadline. It is incredible. And it is a cost that the Brewers cannot afford. You cannot be shipping a couple, two, three of your top ten prospects to to other organizations. And there seems to be this thought out there that, oh, they can make a move, they can go get a, a front-line starter and not have to pay too much, and you, that really doesn't happen in, in baseball anymore. Craig Kishon, who does uh, from Fox Sports Wisconsin, who does the Brewers Extra Innings show with me on WTMJ, uh, made the statement, and I'm, I'm going to repeat this a lot. This is not going to be the first time you hear this, and it's not going to be the last time. Maybe it's the first time, but it's not going to be the last time. Made the statement, something is building, let it build. That, to me, completely describes what's going on with this Brewers team right now. They are fun. They are exciting. They can hit the living you-know-what out of the baseball. And there seems to be this belief right now that they are a lot better than most people give them credit for. I, I think we're jumping the gun. I think we're jumping the gun just a bit when we say they need to make a move. They need to be buyers at the deadline. Just let this thing play out. Let's see where this goes. And we're going to have Adam Rigg from uh, the Brewer Nation on in just a while. Let me preview something he said because he makes a a fantastic point. Most of the potential holes on this team could potentially be filled by high-level talent that is currently playing at the high levels of the minor league system. I would much, much, much prefer them bring up a Josh Hader, a, a Jorge Lopez, and see what those guys can do in the starting rotation as opposed to going out and trying to make some sort of move to get a starting pitcher. Relief pitching has been a question, but could that potentially be, could you shore that up at all by taking Willie Peralta out of the starting rotation and putting him into the bullpen and see what he can do maybe at the back end? You know, Maybe that's a situation where you can make a small move at the deadline, where you're not giving away too much to go out and get a relief pitcher. But let's not forget, David Stearns has been really good at whether it's the waiver, uh, waiver wire or whatever else might be. He's been pretty good at finding relief pitchers out there who have been able to come in and contribute. So let's not jump the gun on this. Let's sit here, enjoy the Brewers, they're four games above 500 after Sunday's action at 21 and 17. Let's just see what they can do as they continue to move forward. All right, we've got a big show coming up today here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. In just a few moments, we'll be joined by Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and Fan Rag Sports. It's his normal time through the rotation. We had him on a couple weeks ago. He was kind of pinch hitting. It was also our look back at the first month of the season edition and wanted to get him on for that. But now we're back on to our normal rotation in terms of the the social media conversation that we do. So Adam Rigg from... 
Brewer Nation, and also FanRag Sports is going to be joining us. And then later on the hour, we're going to be talking with uh, Greg Young, who is the broadcaster of the Carolina Mudcats. The Mudcats are stacked in terms of prospects. Ten of the Brewers' top 30 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline, all are on the Mudcats roster. Some are playing well, some are not playing well. We'll go through a bunch of them and find out how things are going with the Mudcats in their first year as an affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. Not a lot of huge news this week. The big one, though, is pretty big. Ryan Braun goes to the disabled list, and he has been dealing with an assortment of injuries. Technically, officially, the injury that puts him on the DL is a calf strain. In his most recent game that he appeared in, he got a base hit, and he just couldn't barely run down the first baseline. So he's going to be out. He is eligible to come off the disabled list on the final game of the road trip as uh, that is going to be on Sunday, uh, May 21st, that afternoon game against the Cubs. Most people would believe that he is going to come off the disabled list as soon as he is eligible to do so. If they want to buy him an extra couple days of rest, if they don't activate him for that Sunday game, that Monday the 22nd is an off day, and then he could recover all the way back into the homestand, which will begin on uh, Tuesday the 23rd. Uh, and that's when uh, Toronto comes to town and then uh, Arizona. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. We can talk about that more on next week's podcast. But Eric Sogard uh, gets called up. He had a really big first game with the Brewers when he drew a couple walks and then hits a big home run. He's someone who's uh, got a good big league pedigree. He just happened to get injured and missed all of last season and had a hard time finding a job, and the Brewers signed him to um, – a uh, a minor league contract and he had a good spring and then he got to Colorado Springs and he played really well you don't know how long he's going to be with the club you don't know what's going to happen when Ryan Braun comes off uh, the disabled list but uh, a good story and Eric Sogard and just you know guys get injured go look at disabled list across baseball I know there's this tendency to be critical of Ryan Braun for uh, being banged up. There's a lot of guys who get injured in the new 10-day disabled list as opposed to the 15-day disabled list. There's a lot more folks who are going on the DL because it's such a uh, shorter time on it. Get Ryan Braun healthy. Get him back in the lineup. The lineup through Sunday is performing pretty well without him in there. Think how much better they can be with him. Kind of a quiet thing comes and goes. Ryan Braun reaches 10-5 and status on Sunday. And what that officially means, 10 years in baseball, 5 years with one team. He's really a, he's a 10 and 10 guy because every minute of his big league career has been spent with the Brewers. He now has full no trade protection. They can, you know, he had limited no trade before. There was teams, uh, there was uh, just a handful of teams that he could be traded to. Now he has full 100% no trade protection. If he wanted to say, I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to continue to play with the Brewers, uh, he could do that. Now, he has said it, David Stearns has said it, everybody said it. If they work out a deal that's good for the organization and sends him to a place that he's willing to play and to a team that is a contender, he would be willing to accept that trade. 
basically you're looking at West Coast teams uh, near his off-season home. And the only one that really makes much sense is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Nothing is happening. Nothing's on the horizon in terms of him getting moved. And the more the Brewers play well, I think the less chance that he gets moved. So uh, that's that's one thing to continue to take a look at. Uh, Jonathan VR gets benched this past week. He played the first game of the Boston series, gets caught stealing a couple times, has some bad moments on the bases. It wasn't just getting caught stealing. It was bad decisions on the bases. He then gets sat down for the second game of the Boston series, eventually has to come into the game later, and to his credit and to the credit of the organization, he's been fine since. He has not made any bad decisions on the bases. And uh, Craig Council essentially alluded to the fact that you know he's been playing every single day, and it was at a point where he probably needed a day off. He didn't even get the full day off, but whatever he did get off certainly uh, seemed to uh, certainly seemed to help. Eric Thames is banged up. He is dealing with some leg issues. Uh, He hasn't missed any time because of it, but you would expect him to maybe get a couple extra days off here and there as they move forward. Uh, Just the way he is, uh, the way he's built, and um, he he has to do a lot of stretching to be available to play. His legs are getting uh, quite tight. Uh, and uh, they're just being very careful with that. He played left field on Sunday, ended up diving on a ball, and uh, I don't think that felt especially good. That was after uh, he had a moment where he walked back to the dugout very, very gingerly. So he is banged up. Hopefully it does not result in a DL stint for Thames, but he hasn't been, he hasn't been hitting all that well either recently. He's in a bit of a slump, and other guys have been able to pick him up. Also, as we mentioned in our first segment, the Brewers four games above 500 through Sunday's action at 21 and 17. That uh, four games above 500 that is the first time they are at that position since September 24th of 2014 it's been uh, quite some time but just shows you how well this team is currently playing after every brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now well, we're getting this guy on uh, a couple times within just a few weeks of each other. The last time, technically, he was in a pinch-hitting appearance, and his normal spot comes back up, and we're very happy to uh, welcome in. He is the uh, he's the head honcho over at the Brewer Nation. He also is a uh, contributor over at FanRag Sports. It's our good friend Adam Rigg. Adam, appreciate you taking some time here on the social media conversation. How you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks. Um, how are you? I hope you're well. I am good. Uh, the Brewers, we record this on Sunday night, as we always do, and the Brewers just complete a 5-1 and homestand. They sweep the Mets, and they win on Sunday in just big fashion, coming back from a 7-1 deficit. They, they lose Travis Shaw during the game. Obviously, Ryan Braun isn't there, and uh, they still find a way to win. Let's, let's lock in on the single game, and then we'll back up from there. What does that win? And for a team that's still kind of developing and, you know, that's the rebuild year and all that sort of stuff, what does a win like Sunday's win mean for, for a club? I think first and foremost, it it, it kind of throws out there to the rest of baseball if they hadn't already picked up on the fact that this team can win some baseball games. They, they can, their offense is potent. They put together good at bats. They keep coming at you. You know, throughout the entire nine innings, in this case, 
innings for the offense because they didn't have to go with the whole bottom of the ninth thing, uh, being at home. But this team, they've got internal confidence, and if you talk to them after games, before games, they say, well, it's been training. We've known the type of hitters we have here and the fact that we were going to mash. And uh, Cam Braxton said, I've known since early on in camp that we had a bunch of bangers around here. So they're a very confident group amongst themselves. And I think it just goes to show that if you can manifest that confidence into results, then maybe the sky's the limit. I'm not talking World Series appearance being the sky uh, or anything like that, but I'm talking consistent offensive production night in and night out. You know, that is a thing that a team of good hitters, when they're all firing together and all doing well at the same time, you see results like this homestand. I mean, they won five games, like you said, out of the six, and they either scored seven or 11 runs in each of the wins. Yeah. I mean, it was just an amazing offensive output. Uh, Cats off by like, the comeback, another Mother's Day miracle for the Milwaukee Brewers at Miller Park. Just an amazing game. They have the best record in all of Major League Baseball ever on Mother's Day, and they have the worst record in all of baseball ever on Father's Day. Can you explain that? No. Um, as much as it would be fun to, to explain away certain things in baseball, that's like, why did Kirk Newenheis want to carry on the road last year when he could hit at Miller Park? You know, there's just certain things that are unique to baseball, and they're, they're inexplicable. So you look at, and I know here on the podcast we generally focus in on the past week, but I want to I want to stay take a little bit of a, more of a step back for just a moment and look at the past two weeks because they have the road trip where they go three and three, and that includes taking two out of three from St. Louis, a good road trip. You you you're always happy with a five hundred road trip, and then they come back to Milwaukee and they go five and one on the homestand, and they've essentially done this without Ryan Braun. In that period, Braun had the he had an at bat in St. Louis, he had a game back on the homestand, but basically Braun has not been involved over the past couple weeks. What does it say about the club that they're winning so many games without having Ryan Braun available? I think what you're seeing here, uh, and even today, like you said, you, you lose Travis Shaw in the game before the big rally really gets going. Um, you see that this team is from top to bottom, the the hitting group, as the offensive player group, as Council likes to call them, they are talented hitters who can get the job done when they're hot. Um, and I think that when you can accomplish this type of winning, uh, not streak, obviously, because there's only one, you know, they swept the Mets, sure, but, you know, they, they've won a few games here and lost a couple games here. When you have a group of hitters that can do it without their best player, it just breeds confidence. More and more confidence, not to, to reuse the word, but this is a, a team that knows what they're capable of from Ryan Braun on down. You know, Eric Thames, he's been hobbled a little bit. You know, he hasn't been himself since his leg started to get a little bit sore. Um, you lose Travis Shaw in this game. You lost him in a game earlier with uh, after getting hit on the hand by a pitch um, not that long ago. You have Jesus Aguilar, who had been struggling for a long stretch before he finally got a couple of bats, broke through the ice. You know, it, it, hitting begets hitting. You know, it's the old phrase, hitting is contagious. And this team, they're doing it without their number three hole hitter, without the, the best offensive player on the team in Ryan Brown. And I think that not only is it good for them, 
but I think it's good for the pitching staff. It's good for all aspects of the team when you know that you not they're missing. I was going to say that you don't miss a beat, but that's not true. They're, they're missing a beat. Ryan Braun is, is a huge part of the pulse of this team, but the fact that they can still see great results without their best hitter, it, it's a net positive overall for everybody involved. You had a tweet uh, on this uh, earlier on Sunday um, at uh, at Brewer Nation on Twitter, and the the tweet mentioned the fact and that you know Ryan Braun hits his five and ten anniversary, and people want to make a big deal about it from the no trade stuff, and that that really has very little consequence. They were uh, he's still probably going to accept a trade to a team that he'd want to go to if that became available, although it doesn't look like that's going to happen at any time soon. But what's the bigger significance for you of Ryan Braun getting 5 and 10 rights as a member of the Brewers? I think the bigger significance for me is the fact that he did it in Milwaukee. I I was racking my brain today. um, I've done it a couple of times over the last few months once we realized that Ryan Braun was probably going to get those rights. Trying to figure out who the last guy was to have them. And anybody who's been anybody in Milwaukee since routing out, really, uh, Jim Gantner's played his entire career here. He was never a superstar. He's not in the Hall of Fame. So everybody since basically robbing out has been from place else. Paul Molitor left. You know, granted, it's not very cut and dry. There's a lot of off-the-field stuff that kind of contributed to that one. But... Paul Molitor, one of the best players in the Hall of Fame as a Milwaukee Brewer, left up for, for Greener Packers. C.T. Sebastia, in the one year, that, in the half year he was here, um, signed his big money contract out for Prince Fielder when he had the chance to stay here for, granted, what ended up being a little bit of a smaller offer. Um, he chose the big money, and God bless him, and went to Detroit. And we know kind of where that's gone. So, but every... Every marquee player, Zach Greinke, you knew you had to trade him because he wasn't going to stick around. Every guy has left Milwaukee, um, except for Robbie Out, and granted, and even recently, except for Ryan Braun. Now, will Ryan Braun maybe accept a trade one day? What he said about it is, if the team approaches him, and it's just that it is in our best interest to execute this trade, to send you something else, and to get back the package of players that they could in return, Brian Brown said he will listen, and if it's a place that he doesn't mind going, um, then he will accept the trade. He, he has said that. He said that the 10-5 and five rights won't change how he's going to handle it, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe maybe one day he won't be in a brewery uniform. As a fan, I hope that never happens. But I think the fact that he chose to stay in Milwaukee when he could have gone elsewhere, he chose to commit himself to the smallest media market in baseball to one of, if not the most passionate fan base in baseball, at least in my opinion, granted I'm a part of it, but the fact that he chose to do those things, I think speaks volumes to the, the type of guy that he is. Um, all the other off-field stuff aside, the, the negative stuff, uh, but he has done so much for this community that doesn't get reported. He's done so much for, you know, Make-A-Wish and Children's Hospital and all these other organizations he's involved with, uh, Habitat for Humanity. You know, everything else that he does, uh, the food pantry driver, he flies in every November to collect donations at the, the Thanksgiving uh, food pantry thing. So everything that he does for his community, I, I, I think it's just great that we can have a guy that is Milwaukee's own, 
And the fact that, like I said, he chose to stay here when he said it absolutely could have gone elsewhere. Uh, it's just a, a nice thing as a Brewers fan. We'll, uh, we'll mention a few of the issues of the week because even in a week where you win more games than you don't, there are still some things that uh, pop up over the course of the week. And Early on the week, the question was with Jonathan VR and his base running. He gets uh, sit down for, for one game, at least from a starting perspective. He was making some bad decisions on the bases, kind of like he did last year. Now, to his credit, uh, he has not made any bad decisions on the bases after that one-day benching. Is, is this maybe just something we're going to have to get used to with Jonathan VR that maybe he gets a little loose in the corner every once in a while and he needs to be sat down and that that maybe gets him back on track? Well, I don't think necessarily that you have to get used to it. Um, I think it's a big part of who he is now. We, we as Burke, has dealt with this with Carlos Gomez, right? Where he plays with his hair on fire. Um, my buddy James on Twitter always calls him an over-caffeinated puppy. <laughs> um, that was his thing for Carlos Gomez. Some guys play and they push the limits of their abilities. And Ron Renneke, for example, with Gomez, uh, counsel to a degree with VR, they encourage this because they want their players, especially these high energy guys, to know what they're capable of and to, to push that and to, you know, get the most out of themselves and, and to see, hey, if I, put, if I try to go first to third here and I get thrown out, at least I know the next time. And if I try to go first and play again, and I get thrown out again, okay, well, maybe we'll talk about it. Um, or maybe I felt a misstep around second, and I know that I can cut that base better and get there the next time. So you want these guys to play free and easy and play their game so you can get the most out of their abilities. Um, so I think, though, as VR matures, um, really gets a handle on himself, where he's at, what he's capable of, and how... And granted, he's a major league baseball player. Maybe he should know some of this by now. Um, Glass has full look at it. But once he really understands how his aggressiveness can negatively impact the team when he is making mistakes, I think we'll see more of a, not reserves player, but more of a, of a thoughtful player in knowing situation to situation what's best for not only himself, but best for the team at large. Uh, so I think eventually, right now, this is going to be part of the guys' game, uh, maybe in the next couple of years. But if he remains here uh, in, in his arbitration years and moving forward, then I think that we're going to see uh, eventually a more refined Jonathan VR and be better off for it. Craig Council has openly spoken about the fact that he's a little bit worried about uh, Eric Thames's legs. And Thames is in a bit of a slump. I'm not too terribly worried about that. He had a strikeout on Sunday, and he looked... He looked old walking back into the dugout. He was very walking very gingerly back in and almost gimpy. And then, you know, a moment later he had a diving play at first, or maybe it was earlier than that he had the diving play at first. He had a diving play out in the outfield. I mean, he plays, he, he throws his body around when he plays, but then he also has this uh, leg tightness. Are you at all worried about his health? A little bit. Um, there was a the, the play later in the game when he scored. Uh, was it on, I forget if you said it was on, he was coming down the third base line. You could see he didn't look like he was running free and easy, um, but still able to get all the bases at least. But yeah, I think you have to be concerned. Um, the, the Korean baseball schedule, where he played the last three years, is not as rigorous as it is in Major League Baseball. Could probably have better treatment and, and whatnot over here. But all that aside, I think as and things are set, as he needs to spend 
his hour and a half stretching every day because genetically he is his body's tight and then stay loose and to stay in baseball playing shape so he can play every day it takes him a lot of effort so in order to be able to do that you see some of this stuff where he's got the arm field soreness the arm field tightness maybe a day off here and there is better for him and maybe council will um, manage that a little bit differently moving forward but for now if he's able to be the player that he's shown he's, you know can be in this return to the biggest baseball stage in the world then you keep him in there as long as, as he's comfortable I think at this point given what he's gone through he knows his body well enough to know if he needs to say hey I need a blow here you know, give me a day off let me get right and especially now with Jesus Aguilar hitting so well again, you know, now's the right time to do that, too. So um, I think it's something you got to watch for sure. Aren't you glad that uh, to do our jobs, we don't have to stretch for an hour or an hour and a half each day just to be able to do our jobs? Oh, yes. Uh, I have the 30 seconds of stretching in the morning when I wake up is plenty for me, and, and that's probably too much. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, um, the closing situation. Uh, good and bads from the week. The bad, Neftali Feliz, he's struggling. Uh, he could not, uh, the other day, he came in, in a tie game and gave it up. That was the one loss to Boston. Uh, you want to see him get back on track. His first game, not as a closer on Sunday. He gives up a run. Thankfully for the team, that doesn't matter. But Corey Knabel, uh everything about his profile says he, he would be able to do a perfectly good job uh, finishing out games. And while Craig Council in a perfect world may have liked to have been able to use Knable in other situations, that might not present itself anymore. So let's start with Feliz. Uh, do, do you think that the Brewers are able to uh, get this guy right? Uh, I think I think so. Um, they've got a good track record of being able to maximize release pitchers and really get the most out of them. Not just council staff. Granted, there's been a lot of change over there. Um, I don't know a ton about Lee Conval, I guess. I've seen over the last few years working with the release pitchers, but I've had a pretty good track record of being able to get these guys back when they when they falter. Uh, be that K Rod, you know, a couple of times he's gone through it. Um, Jeremy Jeffers, Will Smith, they've all had slumps. Even Thomas Hubbard, um, before he took the closers roll over, uh, they've all had uh, bouts where they've had some issues and then they get right again. Uh, Jacob Barnes is a more recent example from this season. Started off in spring, he was working on stuff, as they say. Hit the ground on fire in the month of April, and then you know he had his step back, and now he's you know he had a positive outing just the other day um, against the Mets, and I think he's really working back towards where he needs to be. Uh, so I think that they're going to be able to at least get him better. And Feliz's case, that's the the tricky part. Feliz has the stereotypical closer mentality flex for him where he's better in save opportunities than he is outside of save opportunities. And as Council put it the other day, before he removed him from that role for at least for the time being, we're not playing for saves, we're playing for wins. Great and quote, by the way. I must, let me pause you. That's That may be my favorite thing I've ever heard Craig Council say. <laughs> well, it, it's so true, right? Because in a high-level situation, you want to go to your highest leverage pitcher and that's supposed to be the guy closing down games at the end, whether he's in that save opportunity or not. So if you can't count on Solis to come in and hold a tie, or even to keep it at a one-run deficit going into the ninth inning kind of a thing, uh, then that's a, not 
the guy for that role right now. And uh, but I think the Brewers will be able to get back to it uh, at some point, hopefully sooner than later. So let's go to Corey Knable. He's got a strikeout in every appearance this year. He held it to his last batter uh, on Sunday just to keep that thing going. But, uh, you know, I remember when I was in Colorado Springs broadcasting uh, in the first year of the Brewers uh, affiliation, we talked about Corey Knable as being a potential Brewers closer of the future. I mean, he was a prospect. He was very highly thought of. Uh, what's the chances that Sunday was really the first day of Corey Knable being the long-term closer for the Milwaukee Brewers? I'd say there's certainly a chance. Um, I think, like you said, coming into this season especially, he was thought of with that kind of pedigree, with that kind of future. And I think the reason they went out and got a villain closer was to ease that transition. There's there's something to be said for the last three outs of the game. I know sabermetrically they are no different than any other three outs, but the guys who have done the job will tell you that that, that the extra mental pressure is there. It's it's a real thing that you guys have to go through. So when you have a guy like Feliz who's closed before, who's a veteran of many years of Major League Baseball, that helps a guy like Knebel, uh, who's still you know becoming his best form of himself as a pitcher. You saw it when K. Rod was here, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, when he was helping Jeffress learn how to close and be that highest leverage guy. And then when Jeffress and, and he had Thornburg and Smith in front of him, and then uh, Thornburg took over the job last year's trade deadline when those guys left. And then, you know, K. was in front of Thornburg, and he went down for a stint last year and got a little bit. Uh, started the season in uh, 2016 on the DL, for example. So it's it's a it's a progression. It's something these guys do have to grow into. I think it's not as easy as taking you know a twenty year old fireball and throwing him in the, the ninth inning and just letting him run. So with Canable, it's extra unique. I think because he was a closer in college, he was you know drafted to relieve. He relieved his entire professional career with the Tigers coming up through the minor league system, and then you know went to the Rangers in the deal and then came to the Brewers and the Gallardo deal. But he has, that's been the, the target of this baseball player, has been to eventually become the ninth inning guy for a Major League Baseball team. And could it have been the first one of many, uh, hopefully? I think Brewers would love to have a, a guy do that job for three, four years, you know, before he really, again, unfortunately, starts to make a lot of money in arbitration and whatnot, then you can maybe reevaluate it. For Canable, if he can do that job for at least the next three seasons, three arbitration dollars, that's going to go a long way to helping the Brewers' budget and helping the Brewers be able to amass the pieces that they need in front of him in a bullpen to hopefully take the next level. Starting rotation has had consistency issues. Willie Peralta started well, has fallen back, was not especially good uh, on on Sunday. He had his moments, but he, his his final line doesn't look good. Uh, Zach Davies has maybe not taking those step forwards that you would like him to take. Uh, Jimmy Nelson was up, down, up again. Chase Anderson up and then kind of down. Matt Garza has been your most consistent pitcher, but he started the season on the disabled list. And Junior Guerra, you know, just gets injured in his first start. So. So considering all the issues with the starting rotation that I just went over, how impressive is it that this team is sitting four games over five hundred right now? So impressive. You know, a game like today, they went 11-9, right? So that's basically, thank you offense, the pitching didn't do a whole lot. 
you know, as a group. Yeah, Mourinho has done a great job covering a lot of time today, for example, but and obviously Knebel is locked down in the ninth, but with the starting pitching being as inconsistent as it has been, it's it's flat out, uh, I, I'm at a loss for the right word. I don't want to say shocking. I don't want to say flabbergasting and, and sound like an idiot, but it's it's got that level of, you know, just unbelievability to it because you look at the overall ERAs of the starting rotation, you know, the some of the supporting numbers, the peripheral numbers that they've been able to post, you know, with the home run rates, you know, you get guys that get into trouble, uh, hopefully they're solo home runs, they're going to give up a lot of home runs, all this stuff. And, and then you have Matt guys that kind of come out of nowhere, uh, being consistent to this point. And like you said, you had a really good start. I mean, Jimmy Nelson in his first couple of starts of the year was dynamite. Willie Peralta as well in his first three starts, uh, all, got decisions in all three of them. And the team won, and and you've got these guys that are constantly feeling that they're on the cusp of the next, you know, next step of greatness, and, and then for some reason, whatever the reason is, you know, Jimmy Nelson has the start where he gives up a ton of hits and gets knocked around and kind of not loses his cool after the game, but is he's really emotional in the clubhouse after the game about the, the style and the approach to his pitching. It really for off today. Just, I mean, it looked like he was ready to spit fire after that, you know, tie-breaking two-run hit that he gave up. You know, when it made it three-one uh, in New York's favor, and he was throwing his fist and looked like he wanted to like slam his fist into the ground. And just, you know, you've got the passion, and these guys are, are unbelievably frustrated at times when they're not executing the way that they've shown that they're capable of consistently, like you said, that's the key word that these guys, I think, is consistency. Uh, but the fact that this team is where it is, even how the pit, starting pitching is in particular, is, like I said, it's, it's really unbelievable at times uh, when you add it all up. All right, put on your GM cap for a second. Let's, and we, we've still got a week and a half, two weeks until Junior Garrett gets back. He's going to make two rehab, uh, two rehab starts with Double uh, A Biloxi before he comes back. But l- let's go hypothetical here, and let's say Junior Guerra is coming back to the rotation right now. What's the move? And I want the full move. So this means who comes out of the rotation, where they go, if they go into the bullpen, who's coming? Like, give me the entire move that you would make on on a return of Junior Guerra. Uh, a little bit on the spot here, huh? Yep. Well, Throwing it at you. Well, let me go process of elimination, I guess, to see who's coming out of the rotation. You don't move Matt Garza, I don't think, because he's pitching the best, right? And I think you want to be able to see where this run of being four games over 500 right now, how far you can push that. So even though Garza is not going to be here next year for sure, I think that with how he's pitching right now, you got to leave him in there, if only, you know, for July considerations. You don't take Chase Anderson out, probably, because he's been the second best pitcher, most consistent, although maybe on him because he was the last guy to be added to the rotation. So put him off to the side for a second. Zach Davies is still young enough, and he's had such strong control throughout his professional career. I don't think that's just. I don't think he's lost it. I don't think he isn't going to find it again. Like I said, he's young enough. You want to give him the, the opportunity to keep going. So I think he remains in the rotation. So you kind of come down to, to Jimmy and Willie. And I think 
out of those two, I would probably remove William the Flogger and remove Jimmy because in Nelson's case, he's got better stuff overall, I think, and he's shown the ability to get himself you know, back out of this funk. He had the range short and start in Pittsburgh. Um, we went three scoreless, really strong innings. And then his last out start was, was good, you know, overall. So I think you're probably down to Lee or Chase at this point. I think Chase Anderson um, probably is better suited to start. Uh, unless you're going to pull, like, Jan Mourinho's out, who has not been great this year, but again, pitched well today on Sunday. If you're going to remove a guy like that, maybe Chase Anderson could be a true long man in the bullpen. Uh, maybe is your guy who could turn down to AAA. I don't know. Um, they've got a lot of starting pitching waiting to come, too. So I think probably long-term future at this stage of his career, anyway, Willie Peralta is probably better suited for a higher leverage relief role. He's a two-pitch pitcher still after all this time trying to, to mess with the changeup. So unless you want to remove Chase to save everybody's feelings because, hey, last in, first out type of a deal, right. I guess I'd probably go with Willie Peralta at this point if you essentially put me on the spot. But yeah, I'm not so comfortable about it, and, and, and I'd still like to take the week and a half to see what shakes out. Right, and baseball always works out where you never know what's going to happen. I, I think I'd agree with you, and I wouldn't have agreed with you probably even two weeks ago. But where I'm at right now, I'm kind of, you know, especially the, the bullpens had some inconsistencies as well. I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of Willie Peralta going to the bullpen and being able to be a, a one-inning guy. I mean, does he does he add more velocity to the fastball when he's uh, pitching a, a limited amount of time? Like he just he you mentioned the fact that he only really has two pitches that he uses. Uh, I I'd be interested to see what he could do working out of the bullpen. Yeah, I agree with you on that, and I think that he's, his is a profile that could play up for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, just most recent, not today, but the, the start before that, I think the third time through the order is really what got him. And you don't see guys, even the second time, <laughs> when you're pitching in short relief. So I think that's a guy. So, you know, they've got Jared Hughes for ground ball situations. Willie Twelfth, when he's right, you know he's generating ground balls and getting a, a little bit of strikeouts here and there. But, again, he's got a heavy fastball that could really do damage, I think, out of the bullpen, especially when he's got his fire working and he compares those two together. That's that's the combination that Jacob Barnes uses primarily, is his fastball platter. We've seen how damaging that can be when a guy that can have that velocity and hopefully have decent control. And those times the guys are going right, that can be lethal out of a bullpen. Yeah, it's funny how much things could change in a week because last week in this segment we had Tim Muma on and we were talking about Willie Peralta and I made the point that maybe you keep Peralta in the rotation for no other reason because before the season got started, reportedly there was offer, there was there was interest in him from the Rangers and you know there's going to be a starting pitching market, but at this point he's not worth that much as a starter, so you might as well go get something out of him in the, in the bullpen. But that just the point I'm making is an argument that I made even last week doesn't stand up as much this week, and, and that just goes to show you how much things can change on any given week in baseball. Yeah, it's amazing uh, the way that the sport can change on a dime. You never know what's going to be from, from one day to the next. And again, with a guy like Peralta, uh, you know, just setting to the bullpen doesn't necessarily end his career as a starter either. It can it can really truly be in this case that they just have too many guys for too few spots and. You know, it's it's a good problem to have. 
You could also, I mean, Willie didn't do poorly eventually when they sent him down to play last year. And they could do that again if they wanted to keep him starting and maintain their depth and their rotation. They could easily, you know, spin that to him and say, hey, go down, get right again. For whatever reason, you're off. Go find it and come back. And, you know, somebody's going to be hurt at some point the rest of this year. I'm not sure if he has options, though, and it'd be very interesting to see if he would be able to uh, be designated and pass through. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. If he is out of options, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's the type of guy who's going to get through waivers. Yeah, he uh, does definitely have a, a lot to offer somebody. So we'll we'll see on that one. All right. So this upcoming week's interesting. They go out west for four games against San Diego, and then they play a weekend series at Chicago. They're four games above five hundred right now. I, I think at the very least, uh, you're you're hoping this team stays in the neighborhood of five hundred through through the year. West Coast road trips, man, those are tough. They can get you sometime. They can bite you where you don't want to get bit. And I don't care what the Cubs record is. We know how good that team is, and we saw what happened uh, the last time uh, they were in Chicago. So I guess kind of a two-part question, expectations of the next week, and, and what what do you really want to see this team do over the course of the next week? Well, they, to start the season, and granted, maybe some of, because some of that was against Cincinnati and Eric Sames eat Cincinnati Reds for breakfast, <laughs> um, they were road warriors. They were fantastic on the road. So I would like to see, especially given the opponents, I would like to see them at least come home with a winning road trip, uh, given that there's an odd number of games, assuming that all the games get played and nothing gets rained out, uh, like what happens with the, the St. Louis trip. Um I'd like to see them come home. It's more than you can ask for to, to play over 500 on the road of any team. But if they were able to do that, to go continue to play good offensive baseball, um, play sharp defensive baseball, and, and hopefully pitch well enough in, in certain aspects to come home with a winning record, uh, that would just, again, do wonders for not only the team's confidence in itself, but maybe the fan base will start to realize what's going on here and again i don't want anybody to to say oh adam rick said they're going to the world series adam rick said they were going to win 100 games no but enjoy this team like why would you actively be trying to not enjoy fun baseball by your favorite baseball team when they're playing as, as well as they are okay come out enjoy the game you know enjoy the sport and, and just you know immerse yourself a little bit in this group, the 2017 Brewers are a fun team to watch. So I took a bunch of phone calls on uh, the Brewers Extra Innings show on Sunday after the game. That's the for people who don't know. That's the post game show that's on WTMJ following uh, following the network broadcast. I'm on with Craig Kishon, and a bunch of uh, a bunch of phone calls were saying Brewers have got to go make trades. They got to go get a front line starter. And uh, my thought process is, you know, if they're if they're in playoff contention come July 31st, and they can make a small move to supplement their roster where they don't give up a major prospect or a collection of major prospects, then yeah, that's fine. But anything that might cost them any of their top prospects is not a move that I make, no matter what's happening during the course of the season. And when I said that, Craig Kishon from Fox Sports Wisconsin said to the caller, 
something is building, let it build. And I love those six words. Those are six words I'm going to continue to use. Something is building, let it build. Do you agree that this team needs to, even if they stay in contention, even if somehow, some way they're in contention for maybe that second wild card come July 31st, that this team cannot go do uh, anything that uh, costs them any of their top prospects? Uh, for the most part, I, I agree with that. I, I think that most of what this team hopefully is in a position to need, they have in the minor leagues a guy that can come up and, and fill that role. You look at the Dodgers, they needed a left-handed hitter and they needed an outfielder. They call up the top prospect, Cody Bellinger, and he's been able to fill in there. And Adrian Gonzalez goes on the DL, and now he's playing his natural position at first base for a while. The Cubs had a bunch of, of hurt guys, not even necessarily all on the DL, They've had a bunch of hurt guys this weekend. They go and they call up one of their top uh, prospects in the end half. who comes up and it's a home run in this first game. So you don't necessarily have to go trade for something that you need if you've got it. And the Brewers have pretty much, you know, at most of the positions, they have a guy that they can go get. If they get hurt in the middle infield, you go bring up your own guy, Yadiel Rivera. You know, if they get hurt in the outfield, you know, eventually, especially with a few more, a couple more months of that bat under their belts, Brinson, Cordell, Phillips, all these guys would be able to maybe come up for a little bit and see what they can do. Even at first base, if you get hurt, you know, you've got a guy in Garrett Cooper who's not talked about by anybody pretty much, but he's really doing well offensively. He's He's in Colorado Springs, as we've talked, but, you know, he's a guy that you can go get. Even at catcher, you've got Andrew Susak down there who was in a competition to, to start the season. Starting pitching, they've got, they've got, the only thing they really lack is dynamic release pitching. But even that, you know, that's, like you said, a, a small addition that they can make. Do I think that they should leave the top of their prospect chart alone? Absolutely. Um, but do I think that maybe they could package some of these guys at, at their extra deep positions of middle infield and outfield, maybe go get something bigger? Sure. If they find themselves in the right position to do that, maybe add a piece or two, uh, fine, don't touch the Brinson Cordell, Phillips, uh, Hader, uh, you know, Luis Ortiz, uh, even Jorge Lopez. Don't try not to touch that group. You know, the, the, the higher waves, as Stearns likes to call them, the waves of talent that are coming. Try to leave that alone. Try to leave Isan Diaz, Lucas Arcega, that group that, you know, high end alone. But you've got so many outfielders. You know, maybe Trent Clark, their top pick in 2015. Maybe that's a guy you could throw into a package deal. You know, they've got options here. So if they are in a position, great. But as to the point of leaving the, the highest stuff alone, I am in 100% agreement with you. And Stearns has said publicly over the last couple of weeks that he is not going to make any decisions without the future of the franchise in mind. So I think we can rest assured that that'll be at the forefront and he's not going to deal away somebody that he thinks is going to be a long-term asset for this organization. All right, last thing for you. You had a piece uh, recently over at FanRag Sports talking about Lewis Brinson and when he may or may not be called up and why he's not being called up, and that was kind of brought on by Ryan Braun's injury. I've heard it from people. You've heard it from people. Oh, Braun's injured. they got to call up Brinson, and then they don't call up Brinson. I understand why. You understand why they're not calling him up, but uh, what's your what's your feeling right now on when Lewis Brinson might be a Milwaukee Brewer. Do I get to say when he's ready to be a Milwaukee Brewer and, and call it good? No. 
You, you got to give me a little um, bit of a timeline. <laughs> well, uh, that's just it. You know, every case is uh, on an individual basis, right? They they review each guy, they they monitor each guy, they, they wait to see when the, each guy is in for this challenge. And Stern said that when they called up Eric Sogard when Braun got hurt, that the outfield prospects were under consideration. So it's not like they said, no way, no how, we're not doing it, which I think is a, a twofold thing. At first, that, okay, they are certainly thinking about it, they're, they're reviewing this thing, and they've made the determination, that's the second thing, that it's not the right time, be it, you know, for a number of reasons. And I think in this case, the, the main reason was that, well, we've got Aaron Perez and those guys that can play left field, and if you did bring up one of the prospects, would he really be playing enough? Would he be starting? Would it, would the time appear make sense to have, you know just be the, the guy who's riding on the pine in a particular day? You know, it doesn't make that much sense to that player when he can be getting four bats a night, still not a triple A. So, Brinson specifically, I think that we will absolutely not see him before the end of the month if he's going to come up and stay up. And I think they want him to come up and stay up when he's promoted. I don't think he's a catcher guy they want to, you know, yo-yo back and forth between the minors and the majors. I think when he may not start every day, but when he does come up, I think they want him to be in the walking brew for the rest of the season. So you have to take into consideration, even though they'll never admit it, you have to take into consideration uh, the Super 2 arbitration, which you get an extra year of arbitration dollars, which means he gets more expensive on the payroll. Um one year sooner, and you have to take into consideration if they wait even longer, then they have, in essence, a seventh year of team control once he does hit arbitration. And he may be a guy that they want to have be here for the next decade. Maybe he can be another franchise guy like Ryan Braun has been, and maybe if you extend him in his contract when he's young, it may not make a difference down the road, but just in case it will, they have to think about those things. So you will not see him, I I don't think, personally, until at least early June, if not even later June. Like I said, to try to sneak in that seventh year. But once Brinson's ready, and this is a guy, again, who's had less than 250 total at-bats at the triple-A level. This is still a young player who just turned, I think it was 24, right? Or maybe it was even 23, um, not that long ago, just I think within the last week or so, he had a birthday. He's still young. He's still relatively inexperienced. And yes, he's got a bag full of talent, but there is still there's still plenty for him to learn. And when they're ready to make the move, I think you'll see him. But again, timeline wise, I don't think we're at least a month out, in my opinion, from seeing Lewis Brinson in Milwaukee. If folks want to read you over at uh, FanRag Sports to see what you guys do uh, at the Brewer Nation, what's uh, what's the way folks can uh, best get uh, get connected to your content? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, of course, at Brewer Nation. I retweet all of my articles that post at FanRag. Uh, but uh, if you go to FanRagSports.com slash MLB, anything that I write uh, is under the MLB banner, of course. They've got to cover all the sports over there, NFL, college, uh, NBA, et cetera, et cetera, hockey, uh, MMA, whatever. They've got a section for all of it. But FanRagSports.com slash MLB, you'll find that. TheBrewerNation.com, you'll find my blog posts that don't go over to FanRag. Sometimes I like to write about random other stuff that they don't want as a feature article. Uh, but like I said, all of that gets retweeted at Brewer Nation on Twitter or through Facebook.com slash Brewer Nation. 
Great stuff. We will see you back at the ballpark when the team uh, returns, and uh, we'll have you on this program again very, very soon. All right, let's hope that we're at least four wins richer when we come back. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. It is time to go down on the farm, and we're very happy to once again welcome in the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Mudcats. That is uh, Greg Young. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Young Jr. Jr. spelled just the uh, J-R. Greg, appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Matt. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, Coming off a a good week at the big league level and also coming off uh, a pretty good week for uh, the Carolina Mudcats as we speak on uh, Sunday night. They've won five consecutive games. They were kind of scuffling along a bit there before this past week. Uh, What's led to all of a sudden uh, them uh, picking up so many wins? You know, I I think it's just been a matter of uh, kind of staying with the plan, you know, if that makes sense, especially for the hitters. Um, you know, I think these guys, some of them got out to a little bit of a slow start, you know, maybe adjusting to the league. Um, I think part of it was uh, maybe adjusting to the uh, the new, I don't know, maybe coming out of spring training, trying to get settled for the first time and playing so many home games early on. I think it, it took a little while for some of the guys to, to kind of get going. But sticking with the plan, uh, not trying to do too much, that kind of thing. Um, but, it's you know, hitting is contagious. A lot of these guys are getting hot at the right time. Uh, the pitching has been better. The, the bullpen's been a little bit more consistent. Uh, the starters are beginning to go deeper into games. Um, and uh, just all around, it's it's just been better play, I think, just across the board. We talked a month ago as the season was getting underway, but now here we sit uh, you know, uh, more than a month into the season, and uh, this is a team that has so many prospects. According to MLB Pipeline, 10 of the top 30 uh, are on this team, and you got four of the top 10, and I can go on and on and on. Uh, from just a talent standpoint, is this one of the best teams you've ever seen? I think it is the best team that I've ever seen, yeah, up and down. Yeah, I've, I've been lucky. I've been in minor league baseball since uh, 2007. Um, I had a chance to, to see some really good teams back uh, maybe 2010, 2011 or so. Uh, say, for example, I got a chance to see uh, Nolan Arenado when he was 19 years old back in 2011 to see what he could do, kind of really arriving on the scene for the first time. You know, it was a year that he led minor league baseball in, in RBIs. Um, yeah, I got a chance to see Chris Bryant play in 2014 with the Tennessee Smokies the year that I was there. That team also had Addison Russell. Um, just a, a loaded group. Uh, uh, you know, Bryant was there for the first half of the season. Russell was there for the second half of the year. Uh, they had guys up and down that lineup, too, that, that have made contributions a little bit at the big league level. Jake Arrieta even rehabbed with those guys that year. But this team in particular, uh, just uh, in overall depth and in, in, in where the guys are in regard to the lineup, uh, where, where, where the potential guys are that could make the big leagues one day, they're in the, the starting rotation or the bullpen, what have you, just up and down. Um, it's the most talented team that I've been around. Um, it's a pleasure to work with these guys. These guys seem to, to really enjoy going out there and competing every day, which is very exciting to see. And like I said, hitting is contagious, but the fun is contagious too. The, the love of the game that these guys have and how bad they want to win every single day. And, and not just win, but just compete and, and battle. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I think it's, for me personally, I think it's the, the deepest and best team that I've been around. I'm a little jealous. You got Nolan Arenado longer than I did. I was in the Rocky system, but he only spent about a month at AAA. Maybe not even that. It might have been three weeks before he moved up to the big league. So you got him a yeah. lot longer than I did. Yeah, we got lucky. We had him for a whole year, you know, and that was one of the things that the Rockies did is that they, they like to move guys one level at a time rather than, you know, maybe here and there. 
Uh, Mike Sarah Dansby Swanson last season when he was with us here in Carolina, he was here for 21 games and he went up. Um, you know, and, and, and that for better or worse, that's one way to do it. The Rockies like to do it where they kept guys in one spot at a time. I'm eager to see what the Brewers end up doing because I think they have some decisions to make here soon. Um, if not soon, then maybe at least by the end of the month with what to do with a guy like Jake Gatewood, who is right now in the top five in pretty much every major statistical category across the board in this league. It's incredible what he's doing right now. He just hit uh, uh, another hit today, actually two, two infield hits. And uh, as you say, playing 23 consecutive games, that is now matched to the Mudcats record for consecutive games that they hit, it, uh, longest hitting streak or tied the longest hitting streak in franchise history. This team has been around since 1991. So what he's doing right now is, is incredible. He has to slow down. That's the thing that blows me away is that typically you see guys get out to a hot start, and this guy, it, it's each and every single day. It's hard hit ball after hard hit ball. It's quality at bat after quality at bat. And he just keeps rolling. And it's, it's, it's been incredible to watch. And I don't know how much longer he's going to be here. Um, I hope for his sake, maybe he gets a chance to move on to see what he could do. But I think selfishly for us here locally, we like to see him stick around. But it's interesting to see what, what the Brewers decide to do with him. You knew exactly where I was going to go. Generally, when we have these conversations, we kind of start at the top of the prospect list and go down. But uh, going to at least uh, start. He, he's the he's actually of the top thirty prospects on the team. He's the lowest ranked prospect uh, with mm-hmm. the with the club, which is kind of funny. But uh, so when you look at him and, and through Sunday's games, he's hitting three forty one five home runs, 19 RBIs, 28 runs, slugging at 561. His OPS is 984. Uh, in mm-hmm. the in the month of May, he's hitting 360. So to your point, he seems to be getting better as it goes along. Knowing what you know and having seen so many different levels, does this guy project to continue to uh, be able to play well at the at the next level and moving on beyond that? You know, it, it's hard to say. You know, I, I, I would say that with his approach to the plate, yeah, I could absolutely see it continue on going forward. You know, I think he's a guy that, and he'll tell you that, you know, he's not trying to do too much. He's trying to keep it simple. That's kind of the answer that I think a lot of these guys will give you on a day-to-day basis in regards to what they're doing and what they're trying to do uh, every single day. But um, he is getting better, I think, just watching and with my untrained eye. Um, but, uh, he, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's quality of bat after quality of bat. He has a very good command of the strike zone. Um, I think he's seeing the ball better now maybe than he ever has. Uh, he's changed his approach to the plate. He's clearly being more patient. Um, you know, you could see him maybe slip away from that from time to time, but, you know, he snaps right back into it. Um, this team does a, a really good job of studying video, studying their good habits, trying to avoid the bad habits. A lot of that starts with the hitting coach, Dave Joppy, I think. A lot of it is also just the, the organizational philosophy just up and down the board um, and their approach to hitting and their approach to preparation every day. Um, but I would say that, you know, he's, it, I mean, for whatever it's worth, when these guys, their batting practice is unbelievable. It's, it's the most impressive batting practice I've ever seen. I mean, these guys, they, they hit bombs in BP, and he's one of them. I mean, he is incredibly strong. He's still very young. Um, I think he still has ways to, ways to go defensively. He missed another pop-up in top territory today. It's a little thing. Um, I don't know what position he's going to end up being at as he goes, as he goes up and, and, and continues on. But, you know, he's played a good first outside of maybe a pop-up here or there in the foul territory that he has struggled with. Today, I think he might have lost one in the sun a little bit. Um, he's still, I think, trying to get better about picking balls out of the dirt over at first, but he's got soft hands, and he's just a matter of kind of getting used to that uh, that, that style of play at first compared to maybe where he originally came up as a shortstop and, and played at third as well a bit last year. But uh, I think he's still growing. Uh, he's still young, and uh, it clearly is getting better, and, and um, you know, again, it, it's hard to say whether or not that's going to continue on because you never know. 
But uh, with the way he approaches things just day-to-day and the way that he goes about his plate appearances, I can certainly see that succeeding at the next level. A lot of guys performing really well, and we'll talk about most of them today, but one guy who maybe is not performing quite as well as people would like is Corey Ray. And Last year, the Brewers were very aggressive initially, putting him at high A. He was part of the playoff run uh, at low A with the Timber Rattlers, but then he begins this year again at high A. He's hitting uh, 235 right now. Has a couple hits in his last uh, couple games, but still not where he needs to be. Is, is it getting anywhere near a point where they've just got to make sure to get him in a position where he can find some success? No, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I think back to the way that Trent Clark started the season. If you look at his numbers now, he's having a pretty good year, all things considered. Uh, Clark got out to a slow start. I think it was a matter of, um, you know, learning how to adjust as, as the season goes along to the way the teams are, are pitching against you. And for Clark, you know, he snapped out of it. He's changed his uh, his stance, not his, his stance, but his hand placement a little bit before he swings, so his numbers have improved. And I think that for Ray, you'll see that kind of come around for him too here soon. I think he's making it an effort to be better about hitting the ball the other way. Uh, we really haven't seen him pull the ball all that much yet, maybe a couple singles here and there, but as far as the extra base hits that he has, and he has a lot of them, he's got 10 doubles this year, and he's among the league leaders in that category. He also got the one triple, of course, that he had at his first at bat, so nearly half of his hits have been extra bases, and he's doing a lot of that the other way. He had a walk-off double here when he played when we played at the last homestand for the most recent road trip to Lynchburg uh, last Sunday, actually a week ago today as we record this, but, um, you know, he, he, he hit that extremely well into the gap, and um, I think he's making an effort to, to protect the outside portion of the zone a lot. Um, his strikeouts, for the most part, I think, have come when teams have really tried to pound the outside against him, so I think he's trying to get better about that and, and learning how to, how to adjust. Um, I, I think once he begins maybe to feel more comfortable about, uh, about that outside approach, I think we'll maybe begin to see him start turning on pitches a little bit more, ones on in on his hands and what have you, and start to pull the ball. And it's going to be fun to see when he starts to generate the power to that right side because he, we do have a shorter porch here in right uh, at Five County Stadium, and uh, I, I think he can hit some some mammoth shots here. He he has tremendous power. I mean, the ball just goes off his bat. The double that he had the other way here to walk off uh, against Frederick uh, uh, was just I mean he he crushed it, just absolutely crushed it. And you know it it, it off the bat, you know you look at it and you you think that it might stay maybe up long enough for a guy to go over and get it, but he just goes and goes and goes, and the, the backspin that he could put on it with, really, it, it doesn't look like a hard swing, but he just hits it so far and so well, and I don't think there's any reason to be worried yet. Um, I think it'll get there. It's just a matter of time. Asan Diaz has seven multi-hit games since April 27th. He's jumped his average from 247, actually from 221 to 286 over the course of that period. Obviously, something's clicked for him. What is it that has clicked? Well, I think for him, and, and I looked it up a little bit as it was happening. His batting average on balls in play was kind of uh, kind of low, if you will. So it wasn't yet to, to maybe the the average, which I think would then make you believe, or we do believe that he was just hitting into a lot of bad luck. And as soon as that began to kind of normalize, the average started to go up. Um, you know, I think for him, he was hitting a lot of out balls. Um, the, the plate approach hasn't changed, I think, since day one. He's been patient since he's been here. It's been very impressive to see his ability to control the strike zone. You know, he's got a very good eye. Uh, doesn't chase a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, once he started getting maybe a little bit more consistent contact and balls started to fall through for him a little bit more often, I think the confidence began to grow and grow. And uh, from there, he's just taken off. I mean, he's he's among the league leaders now in extra base hits, like you mentioned. He's got there since uh, the, the, the third week or so of April. Uh, it hits in general. He's among the league leaders. He hit another home run today. Um, you know, he hit one in his first game back after missing a day. 
uh, with the day off there just a couple days ago here. So he's homered now in back-to-back games coming into uh, this game uh, tomorrow on, on Monday, but back here at home. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he hasn't, I think, really changed anything. Um, I think it's just a matter of, like I said earlier, just kind of sticking with what he was doing, and it's just now that it's beginning to pay off for him. And uh, he's uh, he's one of those guys that is incredibly exciting to watch. I mean, he, he's he's got the full tool set, you know, as far as what he can do defensively. Uh, very smooth with the gloves. I mean, he can pick it just about anywhere. He plays a great second and a great shortstop. He's got a great arm, great instincts, great first step more than anything else. Maybe just in in, in me watching him there. Um, but uh, he's he, he looks like the real deal, and, and the power is most certainly there. Uh, I mean, he showed it again today again with that second home run. He's played almost the same amount of games at short and second. Where do you like him better at defensively? Um. I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I like the, the combination of, of him at second and Avilus at shortstop. It's just there's a certain flair to it. They, they seem to work well together in, in that side. And I think Avilus just has a, maybe a better feel for shortstop just in, in watching him. But, I mean, either one's good. And, you know, like I said, he's, he's got a great arm, um, you know, and, and, and he can feel it well on, on either side. I think that uh, he – I just in watching him, I, I think, and I haven't asked him this, but I think he might enjoy stop more just in the way that uh, you see him move and everything out there but and maybe it's a little bit more natural for him in the way that he moves but again I mean the way that he, he's able to cover second is, is hands down as, as anybody else in this league right now I'm looking you mentioned Trent Clark and I'm looking at his numbers right now one of the things that jumps out at me is, is his righty lefty splits he's been struggling against left-handers is that something that uh he's really focusing on yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think the biggest thing for him right now is, is less about maybe what particular pitcher he's facing, whether they throw right or left-handed or who it might be. I think it's more about getting himself into the right load position with his hands. You know, he's he started out the season with his hands a little bit lower than he's used to, um, and he, he told me that, you know, he's, he's just trying to get back to where he was. Maybe, you know, he was several years ago, uh, the, the, basically to the point where, he was when he first got into baseball, when the Brewers took him in the first round, and when everybody was talking about him when he first came out of high school out of Texas, uh, the kind of player that everybody thought he was going to be. He's trying to get back to the swing that he had then, or at least to um, the, the hand placement that he had back then, something that's a little bit more natural for him. So he's got his hands a bit higher. Uh, he's definitely been, been quicker to the ball lately and uh, been generating far more power than he did at the beginning of the season. Um, I think that maybe the numbers that you see in regard to the left-right splits was a lot of that was maybe early on in the season, and certainly it's maybe carried on the same still. But was certainly at the beginning of the year he was swinging and missing a lot more, uh, especially against lefties. I think he was just a little bit late on getting on balls that were coming in on his hands because of him starting low and then bringing his hands up. Where now he's starting up and then kind of coming down to the balls, and uh, he's he's been crushing them lately. He's got three home runs this year, and more than he has had. Any other year in his career, and the power is definitely coming around for him, and it will for a lot of these guys as they get older. I mean, this is a really young team, and he's one of them that is still very young. And uh, I mean, he's he's already improved to this point. It's going to be fun to see how much further he can go as the season goes on. So many Brewers fans were so excited about Lucas Ersig just based off what he was able to do in some limited time in big league camp. Uh, he had a good start to the season, but I think even when we talked the last time, he was starting to come back to earth. Now it looks like he's really struggling at the plate. Is this a, you know, He's another guy kind of like Corey Ray who was a, a kind of aggressively placed in this position. Is this just what's going on with him? I mean, I won't even try to guess what it is. 
Well, you know, same thing kind of I think that Diaz went through where it's it's been a lot of balls that are just hit by the guys getting a little bit of bad luck. His contact has not been as strong uh, lately, that being hard hit balls maybe off of the bat as it, as it was early on in the season. So it's far fewer line drives. He's, he's hitting more ground balls. I don't know what is in, in particular the reason might be for that. Um, but uh, he just isn't squaring the ball up as well as he was maybe a couple weeks ago. You know, he was out with the flu for a couple of days, and his numbers really haven't been exactly the same since. The power numbers are there. I mean, he had a home run uh, to here last night uh, and uh, just crushed one to the right. So, I mean, it's still all there, and, and I think that he'll get back to where he was early on in the season. He's got the kind of swing that I think no matter what, it will correct itself. It's very, you know, compact, repeatable and uh, very smooth, so, you know, he'll, he'll begin to catch up the pitches again, you know, I think he, I, again, he's he's incredibly young, like you said, it, it, I don't know if it was a, a really aggressive move to put him up here, it, it, it is his first full season lead, he did have a lot of time in Wisconsin last season, but, um, you know, you're right, for him to be at advanced day at the age that, that he is, it, it is a bit of a push, but I think he's a guy that can handle it, he plays third base, I mean, it, as well as anyone in this league, I mean, the guy's got an incredible arm, uh, he's got a great first step, great instincts over there and picking the ball just and seeing it off the bat, knowing where to be. Um, he, uh, he's, he's been fun. He pulled off the hidden ball trick, yeah. which was uh, pretty pretty incredible, for pretty fun to see, pretty heads, heads up play on his part. Something that I guess he, he tries to do a lot, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's, he's a smart ball player, and it will come back around for him. It's just a matter of, you know, just continuing to get out there every day and, and keep swinging and keep doing what he's doing, and, and it will come back. All right, let me preface this question with I've never been broadcasting a game where there's a hidden ball trick, and I'm not real confident that I'd be right on top of it if uh, if it happened. So when it when it occurred, were you were you ready for it? Caught off guard? What was that like for you? I got lucky because I, I, I was watching him. It was a double steal, so we, there was a guy at second and a guy at first. Both stole the guy. The throw went the third. Guy slid in safe. It was Kyle Tucker of the Bowie's Creek Astros, and um, it, when he slid in. Uh, Lucas just, he had Ersig face, he faked the throwback to, to, to Wilder Rodriguez on the mound and he just held on to the ball. But when he, when he, when he did the fake, I, I didn't necessarily catch the throw itself, but I did see the ball in his glove because when he rotated his glove over, his hand over, I could see from my angle the ball still in the webbing. And then he kind of tucked it in and, and almost put it down by his hip just to kind of shield it some more on that, uh, the, the second day side of, of third, if you will, his left side. So he had to hide it from Tucker. And um, once I saw the ball in the glove, I, I, I recognized what was going on. It took me a second to, to come up, at least with the words, and hidden ball trick for whatever reason. But just in recognizing what was going on, that he was trying to fake the runner, um, I was able to, to recognize that from the get-go. I'd never seen it before in person. I think I may have seen uh, somebody once at first trying to do something like that, just kind of in a you know blowout game. And uh, it was pretty obvious that they did it. But uh, I got really lucky that I recognized that one, and I did. It all developed. I mean, it, it, everyone said it took a long time. It took like 35 seconds, I think, hmm. um, to uh, to really kind of happen, and for the for Tucker to step off the third for the tag to be made. But as far as it, it on air and what it looked like on the field, I think for everybody upstairs, it, it happened very quickly, and uh, it was uh, it ended up being a, a pretty exciting play. It was it was fun. Just a couple more questions for uh, Greg Young. He's the broadcaster of the Carolina Mudcats. Cody Ponce, his last two outings have been really good. Eight innings, one run on seven hits his last time out. Seven innings, one run on four hits the time before. In his eight-inning outing, he throws 94 pitches to get through the eight. That's a that's a good number. He had given up four or five runs in the three outings before that. What's clicked in for him here in these last two outings? Um, you know, I, I think it's just been keeping the – the, the pitch counts down a little bit, throwing a lot more strikes, uh, pitching to contact. 
Uh, and that last start, you know, he, he was he was just cruising right along. I mean, it was uh, he gave up the seven hits, only the one real big hit. It was a home run to the Telvin Nash, who really should probably be in Double A at this point with uh, in the Chicago White Sox system. Um, uh, but he uh, that was really the only mistake that he made, you know. And, and like it just filling up the zone, throwing a lot of strikes, and and, and being overpowering. Um, you know, he uh, he moves quick. Um, he's he's a big guy. He, he just uh, you know, a matter of staying with his stuff, and and uh, yeah, it, it definitely worked out for him. He, he's been fun. I mean, he's he's gone through the seventh inning now uh, five times this year already. He leads the league in innings pitched. He's coming into today, so um, you know he's. He's, I think, definitely beginning to, to, to find that confidence. And he, he he had the one or two rough outings, but it was a day, maybe or two, where just the ball wasn't bouncing his way. But it's it's definitely doing it right now. Eight strikeouts two times ago, seven his last outing. And again, going back to pitch count, a lot of times strikeout pitchers, and not that that's a huge number, but it's a it's a solid number. A lot of times yeah. strikeout pitchers have elevated pitch counts. Is is he getting a lot of strikeouts on on, on one ball pitches or no ball pitches? Like, how is he keeping that pitch yes. count down? No, that's exactly it. He he rarely ever gets himself in a three ball count, and I, I don't have my book in front of me right now. But in that last that last start, there were only a few times where he fell behind to a hitter. You know, he's getting out in front to start, um, getting out there and, and and getting one or two strikes to begin things, and then going from there. And you know, at that point, he's he's either going with his his outpitch stuff, the the breaking balls, and what have you, or he's just trying to you know get something down in the zone and and, and force them to hit the ball on the ground and then hit into outs that way. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly it. it. It's just a matter of just not missing. Honestly, that that's the biggest thing. He doesn't walk many at all. He's only got five walks this year. I think he's second in the league in, in fewest walks per nine right now. So um, he's he's a strike thrower, and, and again, he he just fills it up and it forces guys to the swing. It maybe pitches they don't want to all the time, but they got to go with the you know what they get because they they're going to see strikes and and oftentimes they're they're going to miss with the way that he's he's been throwing lately. So many prospects, can't talk about all of them. I'll ask you a question about one more guy. Uh, Corbin Burns is pitching to a 1.13 ERA. In his seven appearances, he only he's only given up earned runs in, in three of the seven. I mean, my goodness, this is a guy who's uh, putting together just incredible numbers. And uh, maybe somebody who wasn't, you know, he's number 20 on the on the pipeline list, but uh, he, he wasn't maybe that big name coming into the season, but he's really putting together big numbers. What's your take away from what he's done so far? Uh, he's a competitor. Yeah, and he's. I think he might be a bit of a of a perfectionist too. He he seems to get really upset any time that he makes even the smallest of mistakes. Um, you know, he had a, a just a brilliant start in Lynchburg against a very good Hillcats team just a little while ago. His last time out at their place, and uh, there were only a couple of times where, like Ponce, he got behind to a hitter. He was always starting out early with strikes, um, but only a couple of times or even let a runner to second base in that game. And uh, one or two times it occurred. I mean, he was he was very upset with himself, and you know he he is a, a, a very just fierce competitor, and he battles out there. He's another guy that pitches extremely well to contact. He gets a lot of ground balls. He does get a lot of strikeouts too. Obviously, you look at the numbers, but um, you know he he just battles, and you know I, I think he's a guy that as that maybe list is reworked as we go forward. You know, whether it be in season or at the end of season, going into next year. I think he's definitely a guy that, that at this point now is already open to eyes, especially in his first full season coming out of St. Mary's in California. I mean, he's he's straight out of college almost. You know, this is his first full year, full first full season really ready, and, and and he's just been amazing. And he's been outside of you know one or two other guys in this league, he he is probably the best pitcher going right now in the Carolina League. You know, one guy that uh, maybe put together a better run to start was Thomas Pinone. He's in Double A now in the Indian system and. 
that he hasn't given up a run in something like uh, his last 53 in the third innings pitch or something going into the last week, um, going back to last year. And uh, the Mudcats saw him last season, too, and he was very good. But he's leading the league in ERA. He didn't give up a run at all, and he's gone now. So Burns technically is at the league leader in ERA once Pannon's numbers comes off the books. So, um, and this is a guy that is a lock, I think, for the Carolina League All-Star team. And, and he's yeah, just been incredible. Last question for you. You've been very gracious with your time. We've talked a lot about the first year of the affiliation and the excitement of the community, knowing that the Brewers are there and they're going to be there for quite some time. So tell, talk to me a little bit about uh, through the first month of the season, what's it's been like uh, being a Brewers affiliate and how the fan base has uh, has connected with the Brewers organization? Uh, the fans are excited. You know, they, they're hungry for a winner. You know, first and foremost, this team we haven't had a winning team in in, in Carolina here since I think two thousand and eight. So it's been a long time where they've had a chance or a playoff team, I should say, a playoff team since two thousand and eight. So it's been a long time since they've had a group like this out there, a group that has so many prospects and, and, and so many talented players. A team that I think a lot of people are very confident. They've got the 500 again today, but I think people are very confident that this is one of the better teams in this league and that they are going to win a lot of games and give at least the fans a chance to come out and see something special every night. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, whether or not the team wins or loses, obviously it's a big deal. We, we, we always want to see the, the team win as much as possible, but it is minor league baseball. First and foremost is for guys to develop and get better and move on. I think the fans here know that. Uh, you know, originally they had a double-A team here, and they're used to seeing those guys move on quickly from there. Um, as it was kind of a launching pad back then with some really big names. But, um, you know, I think that they're beginning to, to kind of come back to that feeling now with this particular team, with all the big names and the very talented system that the Brewers have. I think it's kind of a throwback for some of these fans, for some of the real hardcore fans. It kind of feels like the good old days when maybe they were a bit more excited to, about the players themselves, not necessarily the things that we do here at the ballpark. We've always had fun, but I think that this group has kind of energized the fan base a little bit, and they're beginning to come out more and more. Uh, we've had some really amazing things happen as far as viral videos and what have you, and that just adds to the fun of it all. But then, you know, you got these guys and the way that they play, the way that they compete, the way that they battle every night, and, um, you know, the, the, the fans are excited. They're, they're also I think, excited, too, to see the Brewers start to win, obviously, the big league level, and that kind of trickles down throughout the system. And, and you know, it's a really good system right now, one of the best in minor league baseball, obviously, especially when you look at wins and losses. And uh, the Mudcats are beginning to contribute more to that here lately with this uh, five-game win streak that they're in. He is Greg Young. He's the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Greg Young Jr. Jr. is just uh, JR. Greg, if folks want to listen to your broadcast, what's the best way to do it? Uh, just uh, carolinamudcats.com if you're not in the area. That's uh, the best way. It's via TuneIn Radio. You could also watch us here at home, MILB.TV. And if you're ever in our area at all in North Carolina, listen to us on the radio side, obviously, there. All right, very good. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we will uh, get you back on the program here in another month or so. Sounds good, Matt. Thank you very much. That's Greg Young. He is the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, and we certainly appreciate him taking some time. I'll tell you what, I, I again, I, I mention this quite often. I'm not trying to uh, mention it too often, but I worked in minor league baseball for 10 years, and I can tell you and I, at all levels, independent ball, uh, single-A ball, triple-A ball, I was all over the place. I can tell you that the hours that you put in working in minor league baseball are absolutely ridiculous you 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 truly and literally do it for the love of the game so when these uh, various brewers uh, minor league broadcasters around the system take 15 20 25 minutes to do a conversation with me on a on a sunday night they're taking away uh, 
a, a large portion of any free time that they might have. So I am very, very appreciative of them. And you should make sure to check out uh, the affiliates, whether you are uh, going to their websites or the TuneIn app to uh, listen to their uh, minor league broadcast or going to uh, the MILB.TV to watch the games with the audio overlay, whatever it might be, make sure to check them out. All right, so here's what's coming up here over the next uh, few days. Again, recording this on Sunday night, the Brewers hit the road for a seven-game road trip. It starts with four in San Diego on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, game times at 9-10. Thursday, it will start at 2-40 uh, on getaway day. So for those first uh, three days at 9-10, that means our coverage will start at 8-35 over on 620 WTMJ. They then uh, start a series in Chicago on Friday. They'll play a day game on Friday. Actually, day games, all three uh, games of the series, one uh, twenty starts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before they are off on Monday the 22nd and then are back home for a series from uh, Tuesday the 23rd to uh, to Sunday the 28th. They're back home for a homestand two series. They'll be taking on Toronto and Arizona in that period. Again, you can listen to all the games on 620 WTMJ. I hope that you uh, stick around after the broadcast for all the night games and all the weekday or weekend games. The only times we don't do it, if there's a weekday day game. So, for example, uh, this week on Thursday and Friday when they play San Diego at 2.40 on Thursday and then Chicago at 1.20 on Friday. Friday. We won't have the Brewers Extra Innings show after the network broadcast, but on all weekday night games and then weekend games, we always have Brewers Extra Innings for you, which is an opportunity for you to give us a call and uh, talk all things Brewers baseball as we break down the games. But that's going to do it for the program today. do want to say thank you to Adam Rigg from uh, the Brewer Nation and also FanRag Sports. Also to Greg Young, the broadcaster of the Carolina Mudcats, for joining us today. It's been a fun podcast. It is a good time to be a Brewers fan. Through Sunday's action, four games over 500, 21-17. You can't complain much about this team right now. It certainly is a fun team to watch. Thank you so much for uh, listening. As always, if you ever want to get in contact with me, you can uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio, or drop me an email, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. We'll talk to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.